Hey folks, how the hell are you? I'm Houston. And I'm Kaylin, and you're listening to Crime or Reason. Brought to you from no longer Caitlin's possibly probably haunted basement. Yes, because the basement is officially closed for service because it is clean and perfect. So they're moving. Not that it was we were down there recording in filth last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's always been clean, but it's very clean right now. Yes. So hopefully our buddy down there won't miss us too much. Yeah. But maybe after you move out of the house, our buddy will subscribe. <laughs> subscribe to yeah. our podcast and yes, listen hopefully because they miss me yeah they will mm-hmm. we're really excited today today is another episode where you get Kaylin and myself because today we are doing spooky aesthetics yeah. aesthetics that's such a fun word to say even though it doesn't phonically make sense mm-hmm. i don't have the spookiest of aesthetics however i wanted to do a deep dive into one of mine because i find it very interesting and so we decided to make an episode out of it yes and we're going to pick something from our aesthetic turn it make it creepy we have a bunch of like creepy stories or or facts and stuff of that nature Mm -hmm. about our aesthetic and we wanted to tell you all a little bit about us yeah you'll get to get to see where the crazy comes from yeah what are your Some of the things that are involved in your aesthetics. So I feel like my general aesthetic is I like, I like a modern feel to things. I like blacks and whites and grays. And because of that, I think that that kind of draws me into the nighttime. I like the night a lot. Mm -hmm. I like astrological. I'm not super into astrology like everybody else. More so as I am astronomy. I just like stars, constellations, the moon, stuff of that nature. Right. So I'm very into that. So that's probably about rounding up what my aesthetic is. Mm-hmm. What would you say yours is? Um, I was very specific <laughs> with mine because mine is kind of easy to peg. Because if you look at my closet, you will find one of each of these things. Can I give least. it a guess? I, can I just tell what I know your aesthetic is? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Your aesthetic is sunflowers, beach, mermaids. You you got most of it. We've got just a couple more here. I would say my aesthetic is sunflowers. Yes. Beach. She loves sunflowers so <laughs> Love much. Love sunflowers. There, it's the back of my phone. I've got shirts. I've got I'm staring my, at sunflowers right now in the spare room. My key, my AirPods are connected to my keys and they are covered in sunflowers. Bracelets, it's all over. The beach, of course, I love the beach. And as you said, mermaids, which is what I'm going to get into today. Okay. And sloths, the color purple, and Disney, which we found that out already. Right. But yeah, so sunflowers, sloths, the color purple, Disney, and beaches, and mermaids. You went really into your aesthetic. I should go more into mine. What do we add to mine? Well, I was specific because I have, like, if you, like I said, if you look in that closet, you'll find mermaids, sunflowers, sloths, purple. It's all in there. Like, just all of my life. Yeah, I feel like, like I said, mine's just very, like, 
very astronomy based, mm-hmm. very witchy. I do have some witchy tendencies. Witchy vibes. Yeah. And Power Rangers. Power Rangers. I was going to say, you love Power Rangers. <laughs> Power Rangers is probably aesthetic y. The most aesthetic y thinking about me. I'm, that's just like an obsession. Yeah. I, I pa- mean, that's kind of what mine are yeah. obsessions. I have a Power Ranger tattoo. I've met all of the original Power Rangers. You have lots of tattoos. We'll I have do. to talk about them sometime. <laughs> Why? Because there are many to digest. Digest. Yes, there are. So, I guess I'll get started and talk about my creepy aesthetic. I'm going to be talking about the moon specifically. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to go through some superstitions from around the world, talk about some stories of the moon, some facts of the moon. And then at the very end, I have a creepypasta. So let's go ahead and get started into some facts about the moon. These are general facts. Basically, everywhere you look, you're going to find these, like, ten facts. Number one is that there is a graveyard on the moon. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So along with abandoned satellites, rockets, cameras, backpacks, and golf balls. Golf balls. There is also the ashes of Eugene Shoemaker. He was one of the founders of planetary sciences mm-hmm. um, for NASA, and he had his ashes sent to the moon. What a perfect way to go. Right. Number two, it says that lunatics can blame the moon. Like Luna. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's actually where it came from. It just says that this is because of the connection between the moon and unusual behaviors. A lot of people back in the medieval day who were affected by the moon were called lunatics, or sometimes they were they would be said to be moon sick. That's insane. I've definitely seen it working at the hospital. I seen right. some lunatics. The mm. full moon brings them in. Yeah. Number three, the moon is slowly disappearing. What do you mean? It says that every single year, through the moon's orbit, it's actually moving four centimeters away from Earth. Whoa. That means it will be 14,600 miles further away than it is right now in 500 million years. Well, I won't be alive then, so at least me I don't either. plan to be. <laughs> me either. There are fresh footprints on the moon, and it's because of the lack of atmosphere and stuff of that nature. It just stays settled. Interesting. Yeah. There is a study that shows that the full moon could keep you awake because it just makes everything inherently brighter. I've got one more thing to blame my insomnia on. Yep. The blood moon, it says, even though a lot of people will say stuff of like the apocalypse and werewolves are all based on like blood moons and full moons and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. it's really just saying that it's purely an astrological event that'll cast a reddish bloody tent onto the earth. Is that from the way that it's reflecting off of like the sun or like is it from... Yeah, it just says under the right conditions, uh, based on, like, reflection and mm-hmm. where it's hitting and all that. It can okay. just cast that red. Interesting. Shadows are darker on the moon than they are here on Earth. It says that that was one of the first things that astronauts notice, is that it's immediately darker. Hmm. And it's because the atmosphere there scatters the light to create shadows. On Earth, that particular atmosphere is actually absent from the sun, or from the moon. There are earthquakes on the moon, also known as... Moonquakes. Moonquakes. Yes. That's shocking. It says it could be when the lunar crust warms and expands, or it can be triggered by the impacts of, like, meteorites. Well, it's kind of similar to Earth. Right. And based on that, another one is the fact, to kind of go with that, like, when it does warm, it also says that the temperature varies highly on the moon. So during the day, it can get up to 200 degrees Fahrenheit, 
and then by the poles of the moon, it can get as cool as minus 400 degrees Fahrenheit. It's so weird how similar the moon is to, like, the Earth. Right, and just the way in... the m- poles are, like, yeah. cold and the idea of moon quakes. Right. Also, the moon has its own time zone called Lunar Standard Time. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny to me. <laughs> Year one, day one, and cycle one began on July 21st, 1969. Yeah. And it says that a year for the moon is divided into 12 days. Interesting. What? Like, what? Yeah. What? So, like, the day, a month on Earth is a day on the moon. Oh, yes. that makes more sense. Okay. Yes. You made it make sense. So, those are some fun facts. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into some other superstitions. I've got a couple stories, one of which is a Kentucky story. We love a Kentucky story. We love the Kentucky stories. Yeah. We've had lots of them. Correct. We have. And we will probably have a lot more. So there's a superstition that the first time that you see a crescent moon for the month, you're supposed to take all of your spare change out of your pocket and then put it in the other pocket. And that will ensure good luck for the next month. I need to be doing it. Me too. Some people believe that the fifth day after a full moon is the perfect day to conceive a child. Whoa. Many cultures throughout history have honored lunar deities, including Artemis, Selene, and Thoth. In some Chinese religions, offerings are made to the ancestors on the night of a full moon. Mm-hmm. In some Native American legends, the moon is held captive by a hostage tribe. A pair of antelope hope to rescue the moon and take it to the village of a good tribe, but Coyote the Trickster interferes. The antelope chase Coyote, who tosses the moon into the river each night, just out of the reach of the antelope. What a story uh-huh. that they go on. That's fun, though. Yeah, it is fun. It sounds like one of those like it sounds like one of those cute things that they would tell us as kids to explain something. Right. On nights of a full moon, it is believed to be a good time for divination and scrying. We're going to take this little story to Hawaii, which we've been to on episode one. Episode numero uno. (laughs) Yeah. According to legend, the night marchers of Hawaii were ancient Hawaii warriors. Today, these spirits are said to roam various areas on the island, many of which were once known to be great battlefields. They appear as ghostly apparitions who carry torches and play drums while they chant on full moons. Hmm. So there's like a few different places that you can see those at. I would like to go see it. That'd be fun. I'd also be scared. Yeah. Gonna take this next story to Kentucky to good old Louisville. Bringing it back. So this is the story of Pan Statue, which can be found at Cherokee Park in Louisville. I love Cherokee Park. I'd like to go. It's beautiful. But this was a story I didn't actually know about. I found it while I was researching for this, and I didn't know it, but I know exactly what statue it's talking about. So Mm -hmm. this is Pan's statue, which if you go, there's a pavilion and a water fountain, and the water fountain I think is like white, and on it is like a chubby little statue, Mm -hmm. like a little dude, Mm -hmm. and he's made of like like a dark brass, so he really stands out. And apparently on full moons, he leaves... His spot on the water fountain and creates mischief and damages cars and just has a fun old time around the park on damages full moons. cars? Yeah. Whoa. Like, you know, just go around like and a pop your tire. Night at the museum kind yeah. of thing. So he's just out there living, mm. laughing, loving. Living, laughing, and Having loving. Having fun. But I would like to say that 
while there are stories of people saying that they have driven through and pan stat- the pan statue is gone, there was one person who said that he drove through and realized that the pan statue was gone. He was like, what the hell? Mm. And upon further investigation, he realized that the dark brass of the statue was just blending in with the tree line in the back. So, but we can still act like there's a cute little chubby statue running around. Just running around wreaking havoc. Yeah, that's a fun time. So now I'm going to tell us a story. It's a creepypasta. Mm -hmm. I hope you guys are excited because I'm not. I'm excited. I would also like to say this might be a bad choice on my end. (laughs) I haven't read it yet. I'm pumped. So, we're about to read this creepypasta together. We're about to get into it. So, this is, there were two moons in the sky last night by Richard Saxon. And it has a rating of 9.87 out of 10. So, I would say that's a pretty good rating. So, the story starts, have you ever looked up at the moon at night and dreamed of a better life? Maybe wished for love or simply looked for inspiration? It's amazing, isn't it? Such a magnificent celestial body just hanging in the sky. One we've lived with since the beginning of time. Your parents, grandparents, and forefathers have all been mesmerized by the beauty of the sky. They've all seen the same moon. I used to love that sight, but now I'm terrified each night as it rises, fearing that I might once again see two moons. It was a strange set of events that finally landed me in the middle of nowhere, also known as Svalbard, a small Norwegian island as close to the North Pole as people are willing to live. Inhabited by fewer than 3,000 people, all with an astonishing command of the English language. Without Luke, I probably wouldn't have ended up anywhere nearly as exotic. But as my best friend, he pulled me into the field of biology after I spent years not knowing what to do with my life. Together with him and Samantha, another bright student with the passion of both nature and all fields of science, ranging from biology and astrology, We ventured into the unknown with a foolish dream of acquiring the ever-so-exclusive doctorate degree. Our new home will be Longeartown, a perfect name for a city in the middle of the Arctic where everything moves at a snail's pace. Polar bears, northern lights, endless winter nights, and everlasting summer days. Had I not known better, I wouldn't have believed that I was still on Earth. It really doesn't sound that bad. It sounds like a fun time to me. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see the northern lights. Mm Mm-hmm. We first arrived in the beginning of August, greeted by our guide and teacher, Walter, a man who looked more like a bear than a human being, a massive bearded Viking, probably born in the snow, holding a battle axe. Love it. (laughs) That was a good description. I'm loving the vibes. Yeah. He would ensure our safety and assist us in studying the wildlife. It was a beautiful sight, I have to admit. Despite being at the end of summer... The winter was harsh, barely rising above 40 degrees, even though the sun was up for the entirety of the day. Nevertheless, there was something magical about the landscape. The midnight sun shined bright, a perfect yellow sky to keep us company the entire night as we celebrated the start of our new adventures. During the first couple of weeks, Walter was very incessant about us taking a proper safety course while living there. Though rifles were prohibited in any settlement on the island, they were strongly recommended during research due to the dangers of polar bears being curious. As cuddly as they might seem, when you have observed them tearing prey apart, completely covering their white fur in crimson stains of blood, you'll understand not to mess with them. September quickly rode around and the midnight sun had long since disappeared. 
Days grew shorter and nights longer, but we enjoyed every moment together. It had become apparent that Luke had a crush on Samantha, and though I would never reveal that secret, it seemed odd to me that she hadn't noticed. Luke had always been shy, even though he had an overabundance of attention toward the opposite gender. Being a sportsman, and ridiculously attractive and all, but some darkness from his past kept him from growing a proper confident facade. At the half-year mark of our stay, we had already gathered substantial amounts of data for our research. It was the end of January, which means the sun never showed itself, even during the day. Constant darkness surrounded us during that period, but at least we had times of bright moonlight, which seemed like any late sunset. It kept us from getting the winter blues. By the time I confronted Luke about his feelings for Samantha, they were both my closest friends, and though I wouldn't mind them together, I wanted to make sure nothing dramatic and childish would happen. Of course, he denied it, shy as he was, but Samantha had started hinting similar feelings for him. Had one of them just spoken up rather than being stubborn children, they could have been happy together. But what else could I do other than poke at their emotions until one of them burst? During the night, we'd driven one of the cars down to the beach. Though I've always considered beach as a warm bunch of sand by the seaside, it was equally beautiful. Walter often accompanied us on our little drunken trips, having become more of a friend than a teacher. But he insisted that even though we had driven down there, we would walk back to our houses rather than drunk driving. Back at the house, we played cards and drank home-brewed Norwegian vodka, illegal, disgusting, but cheap. And it got the job done. Like moonshine. Like moonshine. (laughs) Walter was probably the biggest man I'd ever laid my eyes upon. And he honestly had the bladder of a small child. (laughs) There was something about sub-zero temperatures that really made you need to take a pee every 30 minutes. But the bathroom was occupied. So he ventured outside to relieve himself. Moments later, we heard him gasp. Hey, come look at this. Walter called out from outside. Not wanting to leave the comfort of my own chair, I took a large sip of my drink and yelled back to him. It's cold as hell. No, seriously. There's something wrong with the sky, he said. All right, I'm coming, I said as I pushed myself up from my chair, my legs barely wanting to move after the entire day of exploration. The four of us went outside to find Walter frozen in a space, just staring at the sky. I glanced up and immediately shared his confusion. There were two moons. We all gasped in sync as we tried to make sense of the bizarre phenomenon in the night sky. What the hell, Luke said. It's got to be an optical illusion, right? For a second, I let myself believe that was the explanation. But the second moon, though equal in size and shape, had a completely different surface. It was planar, with less craters and a wider tone than our own. No way. They're too far away from each other. They don't even look alike, I said. So what's your explanation, Luke asked. Samantha, who had been an astronomy aficionado since she was old enough to pronounce the word rocket, had remained oddly silent since we had been outside. The second move is identical to ours, she simply stated. What? It's clearly not, Luke asked, confused. No, it really is. It's just that we're looking at it from the back. It looks like our moon has rotated almost 180 degrees. Just look at the edge. I tried to see what she meant. And sure enough, the edge of the second moon had landmarks I could recognize on our own. What, so the moon split in half or something, I asked? Don't be ridiculous, Walter said. That's weird, but kind of cool, isn't it? Lucas asked. 
We decided that we could get a better view from halfway up Plateau Mountain next to Longyear Town, so we rushed. Walter bring in his camera and attempt to capture any kind of proof that we hadn't all collectively gotten poisoned from alcohol and were hallucinating. As we climbed, we started hearing a strange noise in the distance. Vaguely at first, like an electric humming from a generator. This will do, won't it? I asked as we were about one-third up the mountain. I wasn't in the best shape of my life and climbing up a 1,300-foot mountain wouldn't be my choice for a good time. We looked back at the sky. Sure enough, the two moons lingered in the sky, both full and ever so bright. The four of us just stared in silence for what felt like an eternity. The humming turning to a buzz as we waited. Do you guys hear that? Walter finally said. The buzzing sound got louder and started to localize itself to the village. We glanced down at our neighborhood and we realized all the houses had moved around, jumbled up and unrecognizable. Colors had changed, streets turned directly into buildings, and shops had simply vanished. We rushed back down the mountain, but stopped before entering the village. New houses had appeared, extending the settlement to twice its normal size. Even Walter, who had lived there most of his life, couldn't find his way anymore. My house was supposed to be right there, he said, as he pointed to an empty piece of land a couple hundred feet down the mountain. What is actually happening right now? I have absolutely no clue, but it reminds me of this movie that I watched called Coherence, mm-hmm. which is about a comet that causes the the blend of a bunch of different dimensions that all have the same people in it with slight differences, and they get Whoa. lost in each other's dimensions. Thrown off. Yeah. A light appeared where Walter was pointing, indefinitely at first, but quickly it took the shape of Walter's house. It looked like static on an old television. But it was clearly a house, and we could hear a faint screaming coming from inside. Oh crap, my wife's in there, Walter said as he started running toward the house. We took Chase after him. The closer that we got to the obscure version of his house, the more uneasy I felt about entering it. A pit formed in my stomach, following my instincts. I attempted to stop Walter. Being twice my side, he simply pushed me away and kept running. Walter, wait, I screamed at him, just as he passed the barrier from us to the entrance of his house. He only got halfway in before the house vanished before our eyes, taking part of Walter with it. He had been split right down the middle. The little part that remained of him simply fell to the ground in a pile of blood. This took a turn. Yeah. Oh my God, no, Samantha cried as she stared at Walter's mangled corpse. His face and chest had been stripped away along his arm. Everything else that had made it past the barrier simply cut away. We couldn't even process what had just happened before we were all blinded by a flash of light. A completely new village appeared in front of us, the old one most likely stripped away from reality. Just within reach of the new village, we could hear the panicked yells from people within. Screams of fear and agony vibrated through the air. We realized that the new village had appeared in parts of our old town. Houses emerging in ways not possible, people stuck inside the walls, or cut in half by vanishing buildings. We saw one man cut in half at the waist, crawling for help, his entrails pouring out as he desperately tried to keep moving, not even realizing that half of his body had been taken away from him. People running away from the village, some missing legs, one woman seemed to have fused with a different version of her, joined at the head like a pair of conjoined twins. As people neared us, we could see the true devastation of what had happened inside the village, Houses disappeared and reappeared in new locations. Anyone unlucky enough to be in the same place 
was shred to pieces. One older woman was looking back at the village as she ran away and ended up colliding with me head on. And she rambled on about something, only I couldn't understand what language she was speaking. It was neither English nor Norwegian nor Russian. In fact, it didn't resemble anything I've heard before. Some man was waving furiously as he passed. Even though we couldn't understand the language, we got the point. We've got to get out of there, I said. But Walter, we can't just leave him here. He's dead, Samantha, come on. Luke and I grabbed her and pulled her with us. We were all in shock with just enough basic survival instincts to flee. We ran away as fast as our legs could carry us, but I couldn't resist the urge to look back upon the nightmare we were trying to escape. One moment our village was there, and in the next, a completely new configuration of houses and streets. They appeared together, merged into each other, and collapsed in a mesh of wood and concrete. The people fleeing the village seemed to have an idea of where to go, so we attempted to follow them. But in another flash, they were simply deleted from existence. Oh my god, I said. Where'd they go, Samantha asked. I couldn't answer that. None of us could. Things had gone downhill so fast that we hadn't had half a second to wrap our brains around it. We stopped. I was starting to feel how out of shape I was. There was no more screams coming from the village, and it seemed to have mostly settled into an indefinable mixture of houses and corpses. Do you think it's over? Luke asked. I don't know, but there's still two moons in the sky, I said. We should call someone. I left my phone back in the house. Me too. Despite the chaos, everything felt pretty calm after people had vanished. We had reached higher ground, giving us a decent view of the area. The village was still morphing into its own volition, and I couldn't see any signs of life. I guess whoever felt escaped must have been dead by then. The car is still parked at the beach, Luke said. So what? We're on an island. Where are we going to drive? The walkie-talkie will be in there, and it'll be enough to keep us warm if it doesn't disappear or anything. So basically, we just avoid the inevitable? Do you have a better idea? While the two of them argued about the next thing, I kept walking to the horizon. The way that it illuminated so much brighter in the moonlight than usual was remarkably beautiful, establishing a certain calmness in the horrific landscape. Then something broke the purity of the horizon. A creature walked across it, only showing as a silhouette. First one, then two, and before I could even alert the others, there were at least three dozen large beings walking in the distance. Uh, guys, I said. They kept arguing. Guys, look. The two of them shut up long enough to notice I was pointing at the creatures. Shit, are those polar bears? Luke asked. I don't think so. They're way too big, I responded. Now we really got to head to the car. The rifles are still there. Without any better idea, we started heading to the beach. Midnight had come and gone, and the temperature had dropped even further below zero. Considering the weather, the clothes were far from sufficient. It was a short trek through the snow, but sure enough, the car was still there faithfully awaiting our arrival. Thank goodness for that, Samantha exclaimed. Samantha excitedly wrapped herself in a thicker jacket she had left in the car. Here, grab a rifle, Luke said as he handed me one. I'm not the best shot, I said nervously. It doesn't matter. It's just supposed to be loud enough to scare the bears a bit. I don't think those are normal bears, man. Well, whatever the hell they are, they're not going to like the guns. He said it with a strong hit of confidence that he that normally doesn't come from him. Samantha grabbed the walkie from the glove compartment. Hello, she said. You gotta end it with over, Sam, I said jokingly, trying to defuse the tension. The radio responded with static. Hello, is anyone there? Nothing. 
I'll keep trying different channels. Where are we headed next? Well, the car's dead, so we're walking, but the airport's only a couple miles away, so I suggest we head there, Luke said. Without disagreeing, we started going. I kept my eyes on the horizon, seeing more silhouettes gathering. A few were venturing into the broken village, but they were still too far. I couldn't fathom what the hell those things were. Guys, I need a break, I said after about an hour of walking. My legs had been aching since the woman collided with me, but the cold had numbed the pain so far. It's kind of beautiful, isn't it? Samantha said. She stood on the side of the road staring at the sky. I'd noticed it before, almost mesmerizing to see a new celestial body floating above our sky that had remained unchanged as far back in history as anyone could remember. We were the first to see the new moon. But if the world was experiencing the same freaking chaos as ourselves, then I feared we would also be the last. After a mile, we could see the top of the air traffic control tower. No sooner than we noticed it, the whole structure collapsed to the ground, realizing an impossibly bright green light as it did. Before we can even react, a loud roar fell over us. One of the creatures emerged from the darkness and stood tall in front of us. It had the exact same shape of a polar bear, only larger without any skin covering its body. Mm. All we could see was muscle and vessels pulsating across the entire being, skinned from head to toe. The face was the most horrific part of it. No eyes and no ears, only flesh-filled, mangled pieces of meat with teeth sticking through it in all directions. Despite having no vision, it could somehow sense our whereabouts. It looked directly at us for a second before charging. We started running. The creature was so fast, the vibrant green light seemed to bother it enough to allow us to get a head start, though it didn't take long before it braved the brightness and took chase after us. Once we gained enough distance, I turned to fire at it. To my surprise, the shot hit it squared in the face, but it barely phased it. Luke turned and did the same, but as soon as he fired, his foot caught onto something and he fell to the ground. We ran over to pull him off the ground, and he fired a second shot at the creature and hit it in the leg, causing it to stumble for a moment. It was just enough to get Luke back to his feet, but he was slower from the fall. I think I messed up my ankle, Luke said. I took his arm over my shoulder. The creature was gaining speed again. I'm not going to make it like this. Just go. You're not going to die because of a twisted ankle, you moron, Samantha insisted. For each second, the creature was getting close to us. Even without Luke hanging on to us, we wouldn't be fast enough to get away. The creature reached us and knocked us simultaneously to the ground. It reached out a deformed paw and hit Luke's shoulder. He let out a horrified scream as the claw tore through his skin. Blood immediately started dripping from the wound. All of a sudden, the creature stopped, and a large howl could be heard in the distance. It was distorted and rough, unlike anything I'd ever heard. I can only describe it as vaguely organic, as if some massive animal was screaming out in intense agony. Without hesitating, the creature started running in the direction of the howl, once again leaving us alone in the darkness. I collapsed on the ground under Luke's weight. He had always been larger than me, a typical gym rat always begging me to join him. Damn, you're heavy, Luke. What was that thing? He asked out of breath. None of us knew. How could we? Everything had fallen apart. And I was starting to believe we were in a different world altogether. The green light on the horizon still shone bright, acting as an excellent beacon, taking us where we had to go. 
Luke was quick to get back on his feet, trying to act tough, but we could both tell that he was in a great deal of pain. After a long struggle, we finally reached what remained of the airport. It wasn't an impressive sight, only one runway and a couple of planes next to the centralized buildings. Unlike the village, the airport still looked familiar. Luke collapsed on the ground as we set foot inside the main building. I don't feel right, was all that he could say. It's all right, Luke. We're going to be safe here. We dragged him over to the office buildings that were connected to the hangar. Luke was sweating bullets. Samantha put a hand to his forehead and checked his temperature. Luke, you're burning up. Yeah, I think something's wrong, he responded. I'm going to check the building for other supplies. I'll be right back. Sam, I'll have to tell you something, I heard Luke say as I left. I hoped he was confessing his feelings for her and that they could have a nice moment of happiness to hold on to but I suspected things weren't going to end well for us. By the time I had gotten back, I had only found a packed lunch, a half-empty bottle of water, and a flashlight, but Luke was barely awake and refused any of it. Samantha sat next to Luke, held his hand as he fell unconscious. How's his shoulder? I asked. It's completely healed, but look at his skin. I shined the flashlight on Lucas's shoulder. There were strange lumps moving under his skin, pulsating. I covered up his shoulder, not wanting to think about what those were. Whatever was happening, we were too ill-equipped to help him. Our only hope was to wait for morning and hopefully find a doctor. It'll be easier to deal with everything during the day, I said. We huddled up closer around Luke. Even inside, it was barely above zero. Exhausted, we fell asleep quickly. I woke up to Samantha screaming. I shoot quickly to my feet and fumble around for a flashlight. As I shined the light at her, I could see she was embraced by dozens of thin black tendrils all emerging around Luke's left arm and shoulder. Luke's eyes had punctured black liquid seeping out of the holes and his chest had been torn apart, revealing his lung infected with thousands of tiny black worms crawling around on his insides. He was beyond dead, but to my horror, he was still moving around. I pulled out my knife and swung it at the tendrils around Sam. They were elastic, and it took all the force I had to cut through them one by one until Sam was finally free. Luke screamed in agony, only it wasn't his voice. As the tendrils retracted back into his arm, new ones shot out, immediately replacing the old ones. I grabbed Samantha's shoulder and told her to run. She took Luke's rifle off the ground as we ran past and shoved him to the ground. It only slowed him down for a second before he followed. The tendrils kept him off the ground, and pulled his body with them. We ran into a small storage room, shut the door behind us. Luke smashed into the door at full force, opening it just enough to let the tendrils slither inside. I cut them down as Samantha tried to hold the door shut. You have to shoot it, I yelled at her. She looked at me with terror in her eyes, but she knew what she had to do. I'm going to open the door, I said. She nodded. On the count of three, I pulled the door back. Luke stumbled inside. His face had been split down the middle, allowing thousands of tiny black maggots to pour out of his head. Shoot, I yelled. Samantha fired off a shot, and it hit him square in the neck. Mixed with the damage from the worms, his head tore from his torso and fell to the ground. He stumbled around, but remained standing. I slashed at him with my knife and cut him further apart, trying to at least keep him at bay. Sam, you gotta get out of here. She didn't listen, but I couldn't see what she was doing. I could hear her rummaging through some cans and equipment. I'm not leaving you, she said, as she emptied the contents of whatever she had found over Luke, and some of it splashed on my face. I could smell the vapors. It was gasoline. 
the creature slipped on a mix of its own worms and the gas had that had fallen on the ground. I took the opportunity to get away. I dug a lighter out of my pocket and carefully lit it, hoping drops of the gasoline on me wouldn't ignite. I threw the lighter at Luke. He immediately engulfed in flames. The worms screeched as they burned into pieces, thousands of tiny burning monstrosities crawling around, lighting up everything around them. The fire spread quickly, faster than what I thought would be possible. And before we could even get out of the way, we were surrounded on all sides. The only exit had already started to burn, and I knew that we were going to die with no hope of escape. We embraced each other during our final moments and just prayed it would all be over quickly, that the smoke would suffocate us before the fire reached us. Coughing from the smoke, I dared to take a peek at the flames. The whole hangar started to collapse, and within a minute of starting the fire, the roof had fallen in on us. Just before passing out, I saw the green light looming over us, and at its center, I could see the image of a different world one not destroyed or inhabited by horrific creatures. Then everything turned dark. A voice called out to me, bringing me back from the depths of unconsciousness. The voice was unfamiliar, speaking in Norwegian. I couldn't understand half of it, but I knew he was asking if I was okay. I opened my eyes and was hit by the dim light of day. During an Arctic night, the mornings are bright enough to tell the difference. Where's Samantha is all I could say. Oh, you're English. You mean the girl that you were with? Yeah, she's fine too. What happened to you two? The man bombarded me with questions but remained silent, still too weak to think properly. The man pointed to the stretcher carrying Samantha. They had put an oxygen mask on her. She seemed mostly awake with only minor bruises and some inhalation. The airport had been fully restored, not even a hint of destruction from the previous night, and no sign of the second moon remained. We had spent the next few weeks at the local clinic trying to do our best to answer the questions about how we got hurt and we managed to get inside the hangar in the middle of the night and how we both suffered pretty severe damages from smoke inhalation despite there being no fire reported on the island. When we recounted the events that we had suffered, they had brushed it all off to confusion after head trauma. Everything seemed fine in the city. Nothing had seemingly changed and life went on. We asked if they had found Luke's body or that of anyone we had known at all, but there was no record of Luke or Walter, so much as setting foot on Svalbard in the last month. I called home, and though my family was happy to hear from me, they couldn't remember I had ever had a friend named Luke. The only proof that I hadn't gone insane was Samantha's memory of everything matched mine. As night approached, Samantha sat by the window staring into the darkening sky even with the internal darkness, the moon still sits and rises. We both counted the seconds, terrified anticipation. Only one moon ever emerged from the horizon. I let out a sigh of relief as I saw it. Samantha did not share my enthusiasm. I asked her what was wrong. She only pointed at it without speaking a word. I looked up into the sky and studied the moon. At first, it seemed pretty normal. To the untrained eye... Everything appeared to be fine, but the more I stared at it, the more I noticed the difference. The landmarks didn't match. The color palette was slightly off. Samantha looked at me with terror in her eyes and confirmed what we both knew. That wasn't our moon. Golly. That was like straight out of movie. That was a that was a story. A story. Wasn't it? We went on that one for a while. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. It's all good, but whoa. 
Yeah. That was a lot. How'd you feel about that? That was a wild Tom. That was a wild Tom. Straight out of the worst nightmares. That you've ever heard. That I've ever heard. What a creepypasta. That was a creepypasta. Yes. Well, Caleb, would you like to go on? Is it my turn? Yeah. Okay. We're going with the mermaids. Mine's a little bit lighter, I think, than than that. Uh, it's it, it's a little... It'll make you think. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Okay. So, like I said earlier, in my aesthetic, I included mermaids. And I've been pretty obsessed with mermaids for a really pretty long time. And so I wanted to kind of talk about the differences between, like, mermaids and sirens. Because we've always, you know, heard of sirens as related to mermaids right but they have their differences mermaids are usually known as beautiful women that are half human half fish correct they're usually depicted as peaceful non-violent creatures that live their lives away from humans and you know referencing the little mermaid of course they just they like to avoid human contact right me too same (laughs) (laughs) now sirens however are these beautiful maidens that lure sailors to their death with their voice and their looks. But sirens, however, are half bird, half human, rather than half fish. Did you say half bird? Yeah. And this is coming from, like, old mythology kind of stuff. So stories. more like harpies? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They look similar to mermaids, but they're winged and they have talons that they can use to carry off and tear apart humans. Okay. Okay? Love that. Yeah. <laughs> they have these just beautiful voices that are they're able to use to like lure the sailors. They tend to make them have like shipwrecks and and they're just death and destruction. So, I just want to talk a little bit about that difference there um, between mermaids and sirens. However, I am going to talk more about mermaids specifically. Okay. I want to talk about mermaid sightings because there are some reports uh-huh. of possible mermaid sightings. I have seen. And I am very interested in it. I would be in heaven if I saw a mermaid. Makes me nauseous. I know. It's insane. Like to think about the depths of the ocean and what could possibly exist. Right. So back in the second century, it said that a mermaid corpse washed up on the shore of Gaul. I am unsure of exactly where this is. I think it's somewhere in Newfoundland in Canada. Okay. Anyway, the governor of Gaul wrote a letter to the emperor to inform him about the creatures that had washed up on the shore. Okay. In the 18th century, Blackbeard's logbook mentions avoiding certain waters because they contained mermaids. He called the waters enchanted because they were all, you know, hanging out there, a bunch of mermaids. So he was like, we got to stay away from there. Right. In 1493, Christopher Columbus claimed that the mermaids he saw were not beautiful creatures due to some, like, masculine features on their faces. Historians have kind of debunked this one, saying that he may have saw manatees. However, who really knows? I like manatees. I do too. In 1943, on Kai island japanese soldiers in world war ii saw many mermaids or manfish they claimed they were tall and they had spikes on their spines shoulders and necks the local villagers there knew these creatures as 
Orang Ikan. Okay, that's I presume exotic. that's how they said it. Okay. Which translates to man fish. They said that they had light pink skin like salmon and they had a mouth like a carp. And instead of a single tail, they had two frog-like long fins and long arms. One such sighting happened when a troop of soldiers came to a natural lagoon after leisurely exploring the island. The lagoon seemed normal until they saw something thrashing in the water. Suddenly, an orang ikan jumped out of the water and onto a rock. It turned, faced the soldiers, and let out a weird gurgling noise. Another same creature was seen swimming in the water towards them. They didn't seem friendly, and not knowing the creature's intentions, the soldiers started shooting at them, but the creatures escaped and disappeared out of view. A sergeant named Mr. Taro requested the villagers to inform him if any of the Orang Ikan were captured dead or alive. The soldiers summoned the general soon after who saw these creatures with his own eyes as well. Mr. Taro tried his best to get the scientific community involved after the war, but unfortunately, it never happened. In 1967, on Main Island in British Columbia, a fairy with tourists saw a blonde mermaid on a beach. They said she was eating raw salmon, just kind of chilling in the waves on the beach. Living her best life. Living her best life. There was also a similar mermaid spotting later that same week. Um, A man named Charles White even offered up a $25,000 reward for the capture but it never happened, and the story died out. Seems to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Seems suspicious. Seems a little sus. In the year 1998, in Kauai, Jeff Liker, a diver who is a videographer at the Jack Diving Locker of Kauai, claims that he not only saw, but came into contact with a mermaid. He was 20 minutes off the coast of Kauai when he saw what looked like a woman just 10 feet away swimming with a pot of dolphins. She was keeping up with their fast pace, which Liker thought was obviously a little odd. She jumped into the air, revealing her fishtail. Ten other people on the boat said they saw the exact same thing, so he jumped off to try and get some pictures of the marine life, and he actually managed to snap a photo of this possible mermaid. He said she also brushed up against him during this. And the images that he took were submitted to three high-profile photography labs who analyzed them and said that the images were real and had not been altered. What? Okay. So we've got some photos here. Right, yeah. And we've got more than one person confirming these sightings. But they saw it, yeah. So, in 2009, Kiryat Haim Beach in Israel, there was a young girl that was spotted on the beach doing tricks out in the water. And people kept seeing her for multiple days in a row. Like she was out there doing tricks, hanging out in the ocean. When the government got involved and they actually got into, you know, trying to find this girl, they issued a $1 million reward for solid proof of her existence. So NBC set out to find her and they filmed day and night above and below water. And late one night, the crew claimed that they saw a human figure dipping into the water. So they tried their best to capture it, but they didn't end up with very much to go off of. The mermaid disappeared. They were left with only shots from bystanders and word of mouth. All the footage by both the crew and the bystanders were transferred to the Center for Coastal Ocean Research in Los Angeles. Michael Schacht, 
the center's director, examined the evidence and said that although it was impossible to clearly state that the figure in the footage is a mermaid, it still remained a high possibility. The $1 million reward still stands, and tourists and locals are still on the lookout. I'm about to go find out uh-huh. for $1 million. Yeah. The next one is in 2012. Okay. So we're very recent. I guess not really. 10 years. 10 years. Sheesh. In the Zimbabwe Dam, there were dam workers who were installing a water pump for local agriculture. So when the pumps got blocked, they had to send divers down to see what the blockage was. After submerging to investigate the pipes and resurfacing, the local divers and workers swore they would never return to those waters again because they had seen a mermaid. The government didn't believe the workers and their claims of seeing a mermaid in the depths, so they hired divers and dam workers from outside. But the new people reported seeing the same thing and refused to go back in there to finish the repairs. It's not just the dam and its workers. The people of that land had no doubt about mermaids existing, and several have claimed that they've seen proof and even the mermaids themselves. To this day, that dam's not finished. Everyone refuses to go down there. I would refuse it too. Yeah. I don't want to see a mermaid. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Actually, I'd love to see a mermaid. From a distance. From a distance. Not up close. Right. There was actually another instance that happened here in 2022. It's been debunked, I do believe. It was a video on TikTok that went viral. It's very weird because it's this image of, I think it's in Kenya. It's of a, a woman that looks like she's almost wearing a wig. And on the bottom half of her body, like scales, and there's two fins off to the side, and they're moving, and she's like moving her arms. But it almost looks like there's like blood under her, so it almost looks like a fish may have gotten a hold of a child and tried like eating it. Jesus. Yeah, I'll show you the video. It's... Don't. Blah. I don't want it. Blah. And stuff like that. Anything with water freaks me out. Yeah? Yeah. I don't do water. If you are interested, our viewers, go check out the video that has gone viral on TikTok. I think that it looks like a fish trying to eat a human. It just kind of happenstance to look like a mermaid. But maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. There's a lot of, a lot of stories to go along with this. And I honestly think that maybe it is just a mythical creature that we've all just imagined in our heads but there's got to be some kind of grounds for it right right yeah there's so many times where the government got involved it seems like they so know weird because maybe they know something and maybe it's just like we've never discovered the depths of the ocean and i don't want to whatever's <laughs> down there can stay down there so stressed yeah <laughs> but yeah we've never discovered what all is down there and what all could possibly exist and it did say mermaids try to avoid human contact so I fully believe that mermaids are real. I don't think it's far-fetched. You can believe whatever you want. I believe in aliens, so you can believe in mermaids. I also believe in aliens. I believe in mermaids. I believe in spirits. Let's go. We all exist in this <laughs> big, giant world. It's amazing to think about all the, what all that yeah. could exist in this universe, outside this universe. It's crazy. You keep believing what you believe. We'll keep believing what we believe, regardless Just to make sure you stay safe. And you stay healthy. And you stay criminal. criminal. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.